This episode of The Gourmet Goober is brought to you by SoFoodie. That's foodie with a PH. SoFoodie is the go-to platform that highlights the stories and showcases the talent of brothers and sisters who are innovating and creating in the world of food and beverage. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SoFoodie, that's foodie with a PH, or sign up for their email at SoFoodieWithAPH.com. Everybody, this is JJ Outlaw and T Outlaw, and you are listening to a brand new episode of the Gourmet Guru Podcast. Um, as always, we want to let you know you can always connect with us at JJ Outlaw and on Instagram at Gourmet Goober. I'm here with my hubby, best friend, that dude, um, just fine guy. <laughs> yeah, that's me over in the corner, fine um, ass brother. That's right. <laughs> Who since the uh shelter in place restrictions have begun has like you know taken on the alter ego of the dark desperado okay i mean a dark desperado where like the hell did that come from i've never heard of that <laughs> thank you for paying attention to my social media you can find me tiala <laughs> at on twitter at tiala that's t-o-u-t-l-a-w i can spell <laughs> and it's on instagram name. thank you uh, you can find me also on Instagram at Tiala Josie Wells, like the movie. Ooh. Um, from time to time, we get asked about Facebook. This is my weekly reminder, or bi-weekly reminder. We have a Facebook page. Um, Facebook is not my favorite medium. But if you want to find new episodes and good stuff on Facebook, you can go to the Gourmet Goober blog. Mm-hmm. That noise you may or may not heard. We don't know if it picked up. <clears throat> Is our cat Bitbit, aka Zoomy? He is aka Bitching McScratchings. <laughs> now that I have heard. Mm. <laughs> well, no, you call our two cats Bitchy and Scratchy. <laughs> Abercrombie and Bitch. <laughs> Bitbit is the bitchy one because he's always complaining. Yeah. And then Jelly Bean is Scratchy because, well, he has a really bad habit. Um, that said, you can We're trying also, to get him through rehab. <laughs> you can find us at thegourmetgoober.com. Where else? You can send us an email at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. Um, you can just wave. That also helps. Yeah. If you're in the area and drive by, you know, just wave. We're not shaking your hand or anything because we shelter in place like you are. Hopefully so, you are. <laughs> Please shelter in place, y'all. Um, but yeah. So, 
how you know when I got up this morning, I was literally asking sorry, I had the hiccups <laughs> asking myself, like many of you, like what day is it? Because I legit don't know. Because I have been in quarantine now for a little while. A little while. Yeah, a little while. Um, here with Big Daddy. Who is on his 62nd day. I know. Of quarantine. So, yes, two months, two days uh, without uh, being in an office or within reason, within the length of time. Yeah, so it's been a while. Yeah, falling into a routine. Um, and for those of you who listen, I, I guess we're just going into the segment we always start off with, how's your week? Um, <laughs> I know for our week, our last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, how would you define it? It's been like crazy, y'all, with watching the news and unfortunately rising unemployment and just feeling for people and knowing people who are on the front lines of fighting the coronavirus, reading that now if we step outside our door, we may meet up with murder hornets, whatever the hell that is. Murder hornets is a thing. <laughs> it sounds scarier than, I don't know, that it may actually be, but for the moment being, since we believe that everything could legitimately take us out, murder hornets is a thing, which I also... Find amusing because I also read an article like maybe the fourth or fifth day after they first introduced the concept of murder hornets about either in China or Japan, I think it was Japan, that you can turn a murder hornet if you catch it and produce or I guess blend it the right way, you can turn it into a tasty treat. Okay, well, there's definitely a meat shortage going on, so I don't know if maybe that could be an alternative later on. Not going to happen. <laughs> Can that do it? I don't know, though, because earlier this week, I tried to convince you. We're okay. We used to do like a meatless meal. um, And that kind of fell by the wayside. And now we're talking about doing it again. In fact, last week, I made you what the homemade um, black bean burger from yes. the Pioneer Woman's um, recipe. Uh, it's okay. It was actually pretty filling. Yeah, it was very filling at the same time, you know, it always helps to have, like, you know, a good thing of seasoning in your, you know, cupboard to help it out. But uh, I actually got through it, and I'm still alive. But would you eat the black bean, if it came to it, if, like, if we're out of meat, it's a substance of protein. And I say that with a caveat, because obviously there's so many different choices of protein out there. But if it came between, like, the murder hornets or the plant-based protein... Which would you choose? <laughs> okay. The answer to that question would, I guess the question should be restated. Between a murder hornet and anything else, uh, yes, I would choose anything else. If it was between, a, what was that, a plant-based protein and something of like a black bean burger, yeah, I would definitely choose a black bean burger. It was actually a pretty good black bean burger. But let's not get ahead of ourselves yet. <laughs> we you are know. not at that point yet. We're not at that point yet. There is no, like, you know, Lord of the Flies, or there's no plans for cannibalism of any kind. Ooh, unless you Alex Jones. Did you see that video where he was talking about he would eat his neighbor's ass? And I'm like, first of all, that is a poor choice of words. Yes. Just say. But then second of all. 
Wouldn't you hate to be his neighbor? <laughs> neighbor next time i'm like look social distancing is a real thing and i'm gonna need you to back the fuck up yeah i'm looking (laughs) down that fork (laughs) yeah because if i'm like his next door neighbor like you know the dude across the street coming by like you know i'm every time i see alex jones's eyes i'm like are you looking at me like i'm a pork chop it's like those cartoons remember when we were kids Mm-hmm. Where, and they did a lot in like Tom and Jerry cartoons when they were hungry and they he looked at like Jerry and he turned into like a little steak that was walking around with hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Is that where he is at this point? Because, dude, there's a lot of steps between I can't get my favorite steak and serving your neighbors up, you know, Hannibal Lecter style. <laughs> They gotta be like some kind of happy medium that goes there, like steps. <laughs> yeah, it can only go so many different ways. I'm like, you, I, I don't like being looked at like you know the wrong way like that. That makes me nervous. One, but two, as a, a weird side note to that, I, I keep, I, I, even though I don't look at foghorn leghorn or anything like that in the same way, you ever like. You know, I know we were talking about, like, farm life and making sure that, you know, like, the being able to find a way for the farmers who produce the meats and cheeses and dairy to be able to get their wares to the market right. safely. Right. And I know we had talked about, like, on the farm, like, looking at chickens and cows and uh, pigs and, you know, like them being like, you know, farm animals is like, okay, we look at them as like, you know, a member of the family. I never had that problem. I always look at them as, I, I see a pig, I see bacon. I see, well, I can yeah. turn this into a pork chop. I see a chicken, I'm automatically thinking of a three-piece. I've never had that problem. <laughs> and if you're wondering what Big Daddy's referring to, um, part of the reason why that there's shortages now, as you've probably seen in the news, where there has been shutdowns of a lot of these food packaging plants. And rightfully so, because unfortunately, the way the plants are set up, there's no real way to set up social distancing. Correct. And a lot of these um, places, unfortunately, the coronavirus has spread, and they've left the um, packaging plants and gone out to their communities. And now these packaging plants are the center of hotspots that are growing all over the country. So what's happening with farmers is that they set it up so that they raise their livestock to go to these plants. And now they're facing the, the awful choice in their mind. Like I've seen like farmers cry because they have to kill their livestock themselves instead of send it off to the packaging plant where the livestock will still die, but they just don't have a hand in that chain. And I know that you had mentioned before where it's kind of hard to do that. And I, I I don't know if, I, have I ever shared the Boudreaux story on the podcast before? I don't remember. Okay. Um, how can I share this in a way that, because there's someone in particular that I don't want to identify me. I don't, I don't think it'll ever get back to her. So it's okay. So when I was, I, I went to grad school in Mississippi and Finishing up my degree, I had to do an internship. Um, It was one of the few paid internships 
just as a side note, I was actually the first black person ever to get that internship, which was pretty lucrative. <laughs> but that is another story. But when I was there, I needed a place to stay. And so I wanted to be a good girl and not live with my then boyfriend. And his sister offered me the chance to stay with her and her son and this farm that was nearby. Um, so I stayed with them. And they had horses. They had chickens. They did have pigs. Um, they had um, cows and things. And, you know, I wanted to be helpful. And I grew up in Indiana, but I've never interacted with livestock other than, like, you know, the Indiana State Fair. You know, the occasional mandatory 4-H day that my, you know, junior high used to have. And so it was kind of an adventure for me to go out and figure out how to feed the chickens and the horses. And, oh, my gosh, it, it's just so many crazy stories. Like one time I was on my way to work for an important meeting and a horse got out of the barn and there was no one there to help me. So I was like literally running after this horse. In a three-piece suit going, oh, God, <laughs> I'm in pantyhose and the whole nine yards and heels, and I have to, like, coax this horse back into the, the gate before I could leave. This was and, pretty Lori Lightfoot, like, you know, stay your ass at home type horse. <laughs> well, Lori wasn't even thought of. And then this was in Mississippi, too, and back in the, in the woods. But one day, um, one of the animals that I took care of, rather, was this um, little cow. His name is Boudreaux. Okay. And Boudreaux was so cute. Boudreaux would come up to me and, you know, he would always seem excited to see me um, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I stayed there for like six months. So I would say maybe, th I want to say three months. I forget how long. But eventually this calf went missing. And I had asked about Boudreaux, like, what happened to Boudreaux? I know I've been putting in a lot of hard work and I've been, you know, staying elsewhere because I was preparing for my comprehensive exam. Where is Boudreaux? Meanwhile, never really made the connection. That night on the plate, we had veal. Mm. And there was like an uncomfortable moment of silence where everyone's looking at me like, Chow Boudreaux is on the plate. And I just remember this feeling of, holy crap, I am eating Boudreaux. And it just never, never kicked in. So <laughs> I say this to say, I understand how one can connect with the animal and the idea of consuming it is for the heart. Um, so... I don't know how we got into this conversation where you were talking about looking at, yeah, you're looking at livestock and you can always see a two piece and stuff. What I'm trying to say is not, it's not as easy as you think, particularly if you make a connection to it. Um, lucky for me though, it's not like we've had any personal connection. There's no Boudreaux in our deep freezer. So <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of Boudreaux in our deep freezer. <laughs> yes, but there are no Boudreaux that I had a hand in raising. Sure. In the deep freezer. <laughs> oh, my God. How did we get down this morbid path? But mm -hmm. anyway, outside of food shortages and murder hornets and craziness, um, 
yeah, this has just been an up and down couple weeks. Yes, very much so. I know you wanted to talk about, well, it was initially the loss of two influential musicians as we've gone to recording. There's a third one that we have to add, which is sort of a bummer. Yes. Uh, within a 12-hour period, I'm going to stake uh, from Friday night to Saturday, we lost uh influential uh, founder of Uptown Records, Andre Harrell. Power to the piece, like, you know, this has been the guy who founded, you know, who had uh, Sean Puffy Combs as a kind of like an intern or someone, you know, he took under his wing and helped uh, Sean become P. Diddy and also, you know, had the hand in finding people like, like F. Uh, Heavy D, and of course the great Mary J. Blige. So, and a lot of other people, but uh, losing Andre Harrell was uh, a deep thing to hear overnight, Friday night. And then we woke up, at least I did, woke up Saturday morning to find out that my man, who I prayed for for so many years, uh, the last few years, um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame legend, you will call him the Emancipator, the Innovator, <laughs> the Architect of Rock and Roll, the Architect of Rock and Roll. <laughs> I'm not going to try to hit that note because I realized that you know puberty took that away from me, and it keeps going further and further away. Rock and Roll legend, Little Richard Wayne Penniman. Little Richard, I am the Innovator. The greatest, yes, Little Richard, who I from time to time used to call like the Muhammad Ali of rock and roll, and I would believe that Little Richard on his way to heaven would be saying, "No, Muhammad Ali was the Little Richard of boxing. Everybody came, and they knew that Little Richard was the chef." So. I'm not going to like belabor, you know, everything you could, you know, a Google is free if you're young. And as a person who I'm in my mid forties, you know, if you're in your mid forties or up, you know, that little Richard, the impact he has had on rock and roll. And if you don't shame on me, but why are you taking on like the accent of little Richard? <laughs> I take on the accent of a lot of people. It just kind of comes and goes, but. Yeah, we like to give uh give condolences to the family and fans of Lil Richard and the friends, family, and those who were impacted by the great Andre Harrell. And then if the goober would like to explain the loss of Betty Wright. Yes, Betty Wright. Um and if you don't know who she is, she is an amazing singer songwriter. Um she did a lot of soul. Uh, she was famous for, you know, being a soul singer um, in the 70s. She has a song that I grew up singing, which it's hilarious because now singing as an adult, you're just like, oh, that song was kind of racy. And I'm shocked that my parents let me listen to it. Well, not let you watch <laughs> Three's Company, but let you listen to what was the name of the song? The Cleanup Woman. There you go. Yes. Three's Company, I was not allowed to watch because it was Jiggle TV. But clearly singing a song about a woman who came behind other people <laughs> to take a <they> man 
Mm -hmm. That was all right. (laughs) That song was on rotation for me. (laughs) But no, seriously, she, um, she really was an incredible singer and she, um, did a lot of great work as far as soul music and advancing that. And um, her, some of her works have been sampled over the years. I mean, the clean up Roman and you've heard the rift before. Do, 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 do. Everyone knows that rift, okay. but it's been sampled by Mary J. Blythe, SWV, Sublime, Willie D, Chance the Rapper had a song recently that sampled it. Um, seriously. Girlfriend has influenced a lot of music more than you think. And, you know, as far as her music, of course, you know, The Cleanup Woman, Shira Shira, Secretary, Let Me Be Your Love Maker. Now that I think about it, a lot of her songs I probably had no business listening to. <laughs> but her album mm. was on rotation with me. Hey. Ooh, How About Us, Quiet Storm. Yeah, my father. Ooh, he still busted out the cleanup woman when he cooks for us when we come to visit. Mm-hmm. And I feel awful because yesterday I was the one who told him that little Richard had passed away. Yeah. And so I'm going to call him afterwards and I don't know if he knows about Betty Wright. Which will um, be kind of hard, but at least you know that Betty Wright made good, good music that will never be sampled by Taylor Swift. <laughs> Ever. There will be no horribly melodic you know, turns to the cleanup woman. Uh, no, I'm, I'm thinking maybe she's not going to do that. No. No. <laughs> don't think so. But seriously, the loss of Little Richard, he lived such a colorful life. Um, and the incredible thing is when he said he was the architect of rock and roll, he really was. And he lived in a time where so much of his stuff was just openly stolen mm-hmm. by white artists who literally um, took the music that was released by black artists, re-recorded it, never gave the black artists a dime, and then put it on the record um, because they're just like, oh, white kids will listen to it because it has a white face to it. Um, Pat Boone is, you know, very <laughs> famous for doing that. Yeah. And... The fact is that he's never apologized. He's just like, oh, well, thanks to me, the music got out there. No, no, no. You stole. You stole his music. It's not cool. But. um, That was a long time ago. But when we talk about Lil Richard, you know, was an architect, whether or not, you, you know, you may have known a couple of the songs like Tui Fruity and Good Guys and Miss Molly and the girls got having him. But not. The thing is. Everybody back in the 50s and 60s and the beginning of the 70s who was deeply influential in the cast of rock and roll had some connection to Lil Richard, Richard Wayne Penniman. Yeah. I Everybody. Mean, if you think about it, I read something that was really interesting. There would be no Prince without Little Richard. Correct. I mean, think about the outrageous showmanship that Prince was known for. Mm-hmm. Who was the innovator and the emancipator? It was Little Richard. Although I learned something really famous, interesting. Um, I've learned some things since his passing, and okay. a couple things we had talked about. One is that 
little Richard behind the scenes was a wedding officiant. And so he married Cindy Lauper and her husband. Okay. He famously married um, singer and actor Stephen Van Sant. Um, the guitar player and uh, the dude that was on The Sopranos. Right. And um, apparently, um, who was it? Um, oh, boy. Bruce Springsteen was his best man. Yeah. Um, a lot of questions usually about why Little Richard wore makeup. And he has famously said that in the beginning, one of the reasons why rock and roll was considered to be so taboo mm-hmm. and R&B was so taboo was there was this great fear because I don't, you know what? I'm not going to go there. But there was a great fear among, you know, white uh, mirrors and leadership and things like that, that he would influence white women and when he come white to, women fall out. Yes, and just go and take him. For a big, you know, from a skinny black man from Macon, Georgia. <laughs> but the reason why he said he wore makeup is so that he wanted to appear less threatening to white people. And so he basically said, look, um, I wore makeup and things like that, basically to not attract an audience and so that they would feel more comfortable coming into their cities. Now, and he also said it was colorful. Yeah. That's yeah. the story and he's sticking to it. Bless his heart. He's worried. Um, no matter why he did it, the idea that you would have to go through any type of extremes other than just, dude, I'm talented and it's fucking I'm here to play. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. But when you think about all the different things that he has had to overcome um, to finally be seen at the time of his passing as the person who birthed rock and roll. Yeah. It's really astonishing when you think about it. I mean, and dude, he never got a competitive Grammy. Who the hell does not give him a Grammy for <laughs> calling Miss Molly? <laughs> when they say Grammys, you know, back then when they say Grammy's so white or, you know, that Grammys like didn't always reflect, you know, the cross section of America. That was first and foremost one of the striking. Even if you gave him a posthumous or a you know honorary Grammy, it's way too late. You already pushed him aside and left one of the in embarrassing marks of leaving Little Richard out. But most importantly, I mean, you just gotta say the man was a tour de force. Of a rhythm and blues and rock and roll. Now, to be fair, he eventually got like a lifetime achievement award Grammy, but he very famous. Airports. Sorry. Yes, but he very famously. When was it? I forget which year that he was presenting the Grammy, and he was up there with Buster Poindexter, and mm. he said, "The winner is me," because <laughs> mm. y'all ain't never give me nothing. And I remember watching that as a little girl. And even then, my parents were like, no lies were told there. Because <laughs> it's true. <laughs> there actually was a story that actually was funny. Like, he was being half serious when he did it because he had to give the Grammy to the best new artist that year. I couldn't remember the exact year. But actually, uh, a funny story was backstage, He uh, when they had like the Grammys for the different artists, 
and wherever, like on the table, he actually uh walking back uh to the um I guess the, the audience tables, he actually tried to pick up a Grammy and walk out with it. <laughs> and they kinda quietly like, you know, had to go and get it back. You know what? I I'm not mad at him. Honestly. <laughs> that is hilarious. He how do you do that? You just like stuff it underneath your jacket and just walk out? No, brother just picked it up and just walked back to the table with the Grammy. I don't know whose Grammy that he, you know, or which uh, category it was, but he picked up a Grammy and walked back to the table. And they just, they realized it like after like two, three minutes, and then they kind of quietly had to go and get the Grammy back. (laughs) Well, if you guys could... Please Google that statement because that was awesome. And people just stood up and they were clapping. And he goes, okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm just kidding. And then he said, okay. And the winner is still me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, you go ahead. Even as a little girl watching that on TV when it happened live, we just busted our ass out laughing. And I was just like, yep. Yeah, no lies. <laughs> so wherever you are, um, <clears throat> um, wherever you are, take a moment and just, you know, have a thought. Well, yesterday when I found out he passed away, I woke up Big Daddy. I was so bummed. And then I was making churro rose for breakfast. And I wound up playing his music while I was, you know, making breakfast. So, do yourself a favor. Play "Good Golly, Miss Wally, Tutti Fruity." Um, what was the song that was in Predator? Having a good time tonight. Yeah. Um, just enjoy your his music and say a thought and a thank you to the innovator, the emancipator, the architect of rock and roll, as well as you know, tip a few on behalf of the amazing Betty Wright and then Andre Harrell. Man, when you yeah. think about all the people like back when we met, he was like huge, like Mary J and Jodeci and SWB. Damn, mm-hmm. just he had a hand in a lot. Of, yeah, a lot. He had a huge hand in a lot of songs and you know <clears throat> artists who came and went and are still hanging around from the late late eighties, early nineties till now. If you think you don't know an um, Andre Harrell artist, seriously, Google him. You do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the idea that there is so much that's out there. And he had his hands in a lot of stuff, you know? And when I say, when Big Daddy was talking about Big P. Diddy or Puffy, or what is he going by now? I'm sorry. P. Papa Diddy Pop. <laughs> P. Papa Diddy Pop. Okay. Went from Sean to Puff Daddy to <laughs> The P. Diddy, the Puff Combs. I think he went back to Puff. Because didn't recently when Jennifer Lopez had that like dance-a-thon, she called him Puff. Or maybe maybe no matter what he goes by, you know, it's kind of like his mama called him Puff, I'm going to call him Puff. You know, Ben Stiller could call him all kind of names, but one thing <laughs> you're going to call him is like, you know, he will get called for his check because he will be collecting it. Yes, that is true. but seriously uptown records was just so huge and 
just when you think about all the acts, Heavy D, Guy, Father MC, Notorious Big IG initially, um, I'll Be Sure, So For Real. Damn. it That is like, seriously, he like provided the music for our college years when we knew each other. Yeah. That was him. <laughs> he was a busy man. We'll say that. Ooh, so rest in peace, Andre Harrell as well. You know, it wasn't all bad news this week because can I toot my own horn? Woohoo! You want to toot that horn? <laughs> yeah, actually, okay. I really do. <laughs> Go ahead, be my guest. So this week, um, it was a stressful week because I turned in a lot of grants, but one of the grants that I had written for um, earlier or late last year, actually. Um, I just found out on Friday that the grant is getting funded. And this is not just any grant. I don't want to give a lot of details in case this podcast goes back um, to the funders or whatever. Because I'm usually very careful with not identifying the organization that I, I write grants for um, in the capacity as an assistant director. Um, but this is a grant that. My, this organization had applied for at least three or four times that I know of okay. before I joined the organization. And I got a letter email at like 6.59 a.m. that um, I'm a finalist and I get the grant gets guaranteed funding. So <laughs> I'll find out in the middle of the month how much funding that is or towards the end. But the idea that this is something that is so competitive, and I know tons of organizations applied for it, and we're one of the, I think it's like eight organizations that are getting funded. Okay. Um, that is huge. That is so huge. And if I get it funded at the top level, it'll actually be the biggest grant I've ever personally wrote. Wow. Yeah. So, um. And I want to give credit where credit was due. The LOI, which stands for the letter of intent, that was submitted by um, someone else. But the actual grant itself, I did that. And so I'm just beyond blown away that, you know, in the midst of all of this craziness, because it's hard out there for nonprofits, right? Because, you know, we're working from home. In my case, a lot of data that I use for my work um, I don't have access to, so I have to be creative. Um, it's hard because I'm separate from the direct service, um, employees that does the work that I fund. So usually if I have a question, I can just, you know, walk down the hall and ask, and I don't have that ability to do so. Cause I not only live in different parts of the city, I live across the board in a different state. So literally for me to drive to work, to get something would be at least, an hour and a half each way. I mean, and so it's been kind of a difficult way to kind of juggle. And a lot of nonprofits are in the same boat as well, because many of them had to give up their funding opportunities. Like we had to cancel a gala. I think I talked about earlier and that gala provides at least a third of our funding resources. So we've been trying to look for creative ways because we can't, gathering place to do virtual fundraising. Okay. So for example, 
earlier this week, um, or last week rather, um, Giving Tuesday, which is historically the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Um, and it's a global event that is designed. So as you are thinking of starting your Christmas shopping and Black Friday, that's also a time for you to give back, hopefully, and support organizations with missions you support or you approve of. Um, because so many nonprofits have been hit um, really hard by the COVID-19, um, because there's been a dry up in funding, because a lot of people, like individual donors, they've lost their jobs. And yeah, so it's it's been a really tough environment. And plus, a lot of these small organizations, they're competing just like small businesses to get you know, the PPP funding to make payroll. Okay. I know of one great organization that I used to be with that's really struggling right now. So um, we had Giving Tuesday and I ran a campaign. And the good news is I was able to raise 9000 almost $9,000 in a single day, which it's amazing because unlike other Giving Tuesday campaigns, there really wasn't a lot of time to put this together. There wasn't. It was just like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have this date. Boom. <laughs> Hmm. In the midst of all the other things I've been doing. Um, but yeah, between the Giving Tuesday and this grant being funded, that would make a big deal as far as making up the gap that would have been done um, or would have been filled, rather, by the gala. So, sorry, I'm just trying to a quick blink here. <laughs> But seriously, I'm I'm just beside myself and really excited and just full of gratitude because this money will go to help a lot of great people in need, a lot of people right now that are <clears throat> struggling because of domestic violence issues and things like that. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that we get at, at the big end. But even if we get the smaller amount of money, the idea that this is something that they applied for multiple times. And I finally wrote the grant they got through. That's awesome. Well, that's the most <laughs> important thing is that, you know, you're helping a lot of great people. And hopefully with the acceptance of said grants, like, you know, you're going to get some money. Yeah. You know, no matter how big the number is. And that will go to help a lot of people in need who are really in need right now. Right. That so, is true. That's strength. Lord, that's, that's beneficial because, you know, there are a lot of people who are struggling and I know money doesn't grow on trees, but at the same time, any little bit helps. That is true. And I know that we, although we're in a good place, I know that even how the COVID-19 has affected, you know, other organizations, there's a couple of really great podcasts that through our company Plum Good, we were able to help fund. And there's a couple of nonprofit organizations we made donations to as well through Plum Good Media, um, the Plum Good Media Group. But yeah, you are absolutely right. And it's like I said at the beginning of the podcast, between, you know, all the crazy stuff and all the people who have passed away from like we are literally at eighty thousand. We may be at eighty thousand deaths now. I don't know. I haven't had a chance to check. Um, 
from COVID, you know, again, I have a loved one who is on the front lines and dealing with it. Um, so yeah, having ending the week with a little good news is probably a great way to go. And now comes my PSA once again. Please, please, please. I know this is the most crazy time for everybody. I know everybody's kind of going through things. But as we are trying to, um, I guess, in a roundabout way, like get past the COVID virus to flatten the curve to kind of go towards a new normal again, it would really be in everyone's good common sense. If for nothing else, if you have to go out and perform duties, whether it be on the front line or if you, like they said, you know, have to get your hair done or, you know, like, you know, have a business where, you know, you're, you know, providing for your family. I can't stop you. You got to do what you got to do. I'm, you know, that's on me and I'm not a snitch, but it would really help for those people to protect themselves so you can protect us. Put on the damn mask. I know it's a little inconvenient, but damn it in your house, you can wear whatever the hell you want. You can wear no clothes. I don't care. Put on the mask. Put on some gloves. Socially distance yourself from other people. And that means, yeah, staying as much as you can away from, you know, everybody within reason. Within that six, seven feet, whatever. Put on the mask. Put on the gloves. Get on the act right program. And let's all try to get to this thing together. Not just some of us who think they need something. And <clears throat> this is really hard for me to respond. I'm just going to say yes. Okay. Because like I have alluded to several times, I think on the last couple of podcasts, we have a family member who is in the thick of what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, to hear feedback from her about, you know, the setting that she works with and losing patients and their families aren't able to be with them and to say goodbye because of the mandated separation. And just to hear how exhausted she is and how, you know, unfortunately, even many on the front lines, if they're asymptomatic, you know, depending on the place where they're working, you know, in many cases, she's lucky because she has the gear that she has and she has to suit up, mm. but it wears her out. Like literally she's so exhausted when she comes home and, you know, she tells me and she's, and where she is, it's a hotspot, but it's not like a hotspot like Chicago is. Okay. Um, But even where she's at right now, she's like, these places are stretched and this stuff is very real. And, you know, the idea that you don't think that this is something you can catch or, you know, just hearing how gut wrenching it has been for her to lose patients and people that she's grown to love and care for. It's been really hard and I feel bad because I don't have a chance to see her as much as I'd like. And she's working for the most part. She's working and living almost completely alone because she can't go and see her own mother and father all the time because 
they're older. Right. She can't see both of us because we're both in our mid-40s. Yes, I like to believe we're good, healthy people, but we both have pre-existing conditions. So thus, it would really help once again for the people to, once again, you know, that great program. I know it's, it's a chore. I know I want people to be able to get back to work, but yeah, we are still crazy too. And we get it. We understand we're very fortunate. We work in a field that allows us to stay home and work from home. And I have siblings that don't have that luxury. They're all considered essential workers. Okay. So, um, you know, from the loved one I have, they work with patients to, I have a brother who's a truck driver. I mean, and another one who delivers. Right. All of this stuff is important. And we realize that we rely on them to give us the means to stay home from work. And for that, I'm immensely grateful. But, you know, at the same time, it's it's tough because obviously, like I know someone who lost their grandfather um, to the COVID. And this is something that they just shared. Um but it's not always older people. I mean, it. we're just, res- I don't know. I was always taught that we're responsible for each other in this life. Mm. So the idea of not thinking about that, even though I know it's tough financially, and trust me, I have been without a job. I've wondered how to pay the rent. I've, I have been there. But for the greater good and seeing how things can end in the worst case scenario, hearing back firsthand from people who are who are dealing with it on a daily basis on their job has really changed the way that I've seen the the importance of, you know, to quote great mayor, life would stay your ass at home. Yes. <laughs> so I I just this is our reminder. Obviously you've heard it from everybody, but again, you know, as we wrap up this segment before we go into um our What's Eating Us segment, which, by the way, all the topics this week have nothing to do with the coronavirus, we're happy to say. That we think of, yeah. <laughs> so we'll give you guys a little bit of a break for that. Um, but, yeah, please be safe. Do yeah. your best. And for the people who don't believe this is real, you know, if you want to go, okay, I really wouldn't advise you to. The hospitals are busy. We're just going to say that. All the hospitals are busy, at least the ones in, you know, the major metropolitan areas. Where we are. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people in a lot of different areas of the country and the world are, they're busy. They're doing the Lord's work. And all we can say is like, you know, God bless them. God bless the people who are on the front lines, who are the first responders. And everybody, let's just, let's just think about everybody else. Let's do that. Yes. One more thing before we wrap up this segment, I and I'll make it quick because, again, she is very adamant that she does not want us to mention her in the podcast. Not because she doesn't like the podcast, but because she's an extraordinarily private person. But let me just take this moment to say happy birthday. Happy birthday? <laughs> no, sorry. Happy Mother's Day to my mama. Okay. <laughs> Who is incredible and... Can I share something funny? So my week, we, we obviously can't be there. And so we sent my mom for Mother's Day. We sent her something like, okay, we can't be there with you. 
but we sent a piece of Chicago ahead of us because my mother, up until the time that I got married and moved here, had never had Chicago deep dish pizza because it wasn't the thing where I grew up. And so my mom, the first time, what was it? Gino's East? Yes. And she had like the pizza. And if you never had Gino's East pizza, it's actually really one of the bomb ass deepest pizzas out there. And you can get sausage pizza in two ways, right? You can get it like crumble sausage, like most places. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they make like a whole ass sausage patty that goes literally in one patty on top of the pizza. No, and, at the bottom. At the bottom base the, of the pizza, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And my mother is obsessed. And the thing is, my parents, I love them to death, but they're not the most adventurous of eaters. Mm-hmm. So if they try something, they'll really like something, and then that's all they want. Like, you very famously took them over to, what was it? Portillo's. Portillo's. Portillo's has a huge menu. Huge. Like, literally... It goes around, like, their serving areas go around most of the restaurant. Yes. I would say. And you can get everything from, like, pasta to salads to burgers to pizza. To ribs to garbage salads to Italian beef sandwiches. Right. And so the first time you took them there, you got, they're like, well, what are you having? And you ordered the burger. And they're like, that's what we're having. (laughs) No matter what, it's hilarious. Because whenever we go, we always have this conversation like, okay, this is the time I want to get them to try something else. And I'm laughing at you like, no, you're not. Seriously, whatever you get and whatever they got that first time is what they're going to get. So we get there and we'll have them there. And it's like, okay, you can have anything you want our treat. That's okay. We just want the four burgers and fries. Because that's all they have. So (laughs) we ordered the deep dish. And they were out of the sausage patty, which my mother was obsessed with. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to tell her what type of sausage pizza it is. We're just going to send this crumble sausage because that's what they have. Because the sausage patties always go first because it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the few places you can get like a whole ass, I don't know why I say whole ass, but a whole ass sausage patty on the pizza. (laughs) That's nasty with pigs, so that's just whole ass. Yes. So we send the pos- we send the pizza. My dad gets it. He's all excited. Actually, I'm secretly wondering if he's excited, not because of the Mother's Day gift, but because he wants some himself. So <laughs> we're like, okay, we're going to call her back. So we call my mom back. <laughs> and she's like, oh, this is really great. And then she goes, this isn't the pizza that I had before, is it? <laughs> We're like, yeah, yeah, it's it's Chino's. It's the same company. No. No. There's something different about this. <laughs> eat the pie, anime. And we're like, just eat the pie. <laughs> and it, it came out, you know, eventually we confessed, like, okay. So we may have switched the pizza on you, but that's only because they sold out. Mm-hmm. And we hope that if you ate it before you knew about it, then you would like it. To be fair, my mom did like it. She did. But she was still disappointed that it wasn't a whole patty. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) she was curious as to why we chose not to send that, knowing that that was her preference. And we had to convince her that there are no whole patties to be sent. 
because one, COVID, and two, those always go first because yeah. they're amazing. She's also like, oh, I'm getting ready to add some cheese to it, you know, because it doesn't look like oh, it has yeah, cheese on it. Yeah, that was really cute because deep dish pizza looks different than regular pizza, and basically, you're going to always get a topping of like tomato sauce. Yeah. But trust me, there is cheese. There's a ton of cheese. Mm-hmm. And so literally we're on the phone with her and she's telling us she's about to add the cheese. And we're like, no, 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 no. For the love of God, don't add any more cheese. There's tons of cheese. It's underneath the tomato sauce. Trust us on this. There's cheese. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I thought was adorable. <laughs> it's like back away from the cheese. Please put the cheese away. <laughs> There's cheese is holding like the entire mid block of the, you know, of this entire pizza together. Yes. You'll be blocked up for, you know, for a while, clogged up, <laughs> if you add any more cheese. Trust so me. So thus, don't do it. And when we called her back, she did verify she found the cheese. And I thought that was just the cutest thing ever. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I hope she's not mad that we shared that story. I thought it was funny. <laughs> but anyway, we are going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will hit our pop culture and foodie segment called What's Eating Us. We're listening to the Gourmet Goober, and we will be right back. Hey, guys, I'm JJ Outlaw, better known as the Gourmet Goober, and I'm here to share this great new recipe journal from author Gaby Loreno. It's a progressive cooking journal designed for short and simple recipes at the beginning before advancing with spaces for longer recipes as you go. It's colorful fun, fits easily in the kitchen drawer, and it's perfect for any home cook. Best of all, it has over 100 pages for your most beloved culinary delights. Be sure to get your copy today at Amazon.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Gourmet Goober Podcast. I'm JJ Outlaw and I'm here with T Outlaw and we are at the segment um, of every podcast where we talk about the intersection of food and pop culture, we call What's Eating Us. And oh boy, do we have some juicy ones this week. Okay. <laughs> um, and I laugh because, to be honest, not exactly because I'm happy about the stories per se, but it feels good to be able to talk about something that does not have to do with the coronavirus in the segment. True. Yes. So the first thing out the gate, um, and if you were in the foodie sphere as much as we are, mm-hmm. you probably already heard, um, dear listeners, the the latest um, thing that's going down on social media between um, New York Times writer. Um, she also writes for Bon Appetit. She has two cookbooks that are out, Dining In and Nothing Fancy, which are really popular. And apparently... Although, I'll be honest, I don't follow her on Instagram. I'm just, I don't. Um, But apparently her Instagram presence is really banging. It's a woman by the name of Allison Roman. Okay. I mean, I do. I mean, not so much like follow Allison, but I do follow the New York Times uh, cooking um, Instagram posts. Yeah. And I get their newsletter, which comes every week. You can sign up for it. Um, And they do have recipes where they're like, what you should be making for dinner this week. And some of them I've actually made in the past. But mm. Allison has really been growing in popularity as of late because some of her recipes regarding, depending on the cooks, they call her the millennial, you know, it girl, so to speak. Although I'm not going to necessarily buy into that. But 
you know, like the stew and the cookie. That's what she's known as. Um, but anyway, I know that you and I first saw her on television a couple days ago mm-hmm. because she was on Deezus and Marrow and they taught her how to make the chopped cheese. That's right. Although, <laughs> just as a side note, and I know Big Daddy does not want me to say this. I actually don't think she ate the rest of the chopped cheese when they stopped filming. I'm just saying. She no. was very adamant. She's she's not a burger person. She was horrified that tomatoes was on the sandwich because tomatoes are in the season, which just as a side note, yes, I know it's not officially tomato season, but I grew up knowing people with little miniature hothouse things and hydroponic places that you can grow tomatoes all year round. So girlfriend, get to know that. You can no. use tomatoes all year round. But I don't think she ate the sandwich. Um, okay. I just think she was humoring Diva Samiro. <laughs> Whether or not you're humoring, you know, <laughs> these two guys, you know, who have the Showtime show and, uh, you know, we're big on uh, social media. First and foremost, as a man who has had straight up and down good chopped cheese sandwich, you absolutely positively, they basically gave her the ingredients, told her, you know, go pick this up. Bring it home. She put it together. And she, first of all, she was already, like, you know, had a strike against her because. She doesn't like burgers. That's right. That's, <laughs> a, that's I, I'm, I'm in my feelings from the beginning. But, you know, to be honest and objective, yeah. I truly believe that if you make a chopped cheese the right way, there's no way you cannot eat the whole thing. Okay. Well, all right. And we're digressing because the real issue is not whether or not she ate the chopped cheese, but just it as a side be. note, it I don't be. think she did. It I, should be. She 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 kind of leaves me the impression when I watched that segment. Remember, I told you that night I was like, I don't think she ate that. I think she just took a bite to be polite for the camera, <laughs> and maybe didn't finish it when she the camera went off. That was my impression. But Martha Stewart would eat that chopped cheese. Well, hell yeah, Martha Stewart would eat that chopped cheese. I just don't think Allison did. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's not the first the no, reason no, no, why I would think. Yeah. No, actually, what happened was, so she was recently interviewed for a magazine that's called New Consumer. And the whole magazine is about the fact that she's really blowing up as a brand. And where does she go from here? How does she maintain legitimacy while people are following her on Instagram and while, you know, she does Instagram lives recent, um, more prevalently. In fact, in this article, they reference an Instagram live that she does with a cooking segment with Katie Kirk and Kirk's daughter. And so they're like, so how do you like maintain that growth in foodie media? And how do you, you know, build in the way that makes sense for you? Mm-hmm. So. Instead of just focusing on her, girlfriend decided to take a much more toxic approach, in my opinion. Because in this article, they asked her specifically about um, they asked her specifically about putting out a product line or putting her name on a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she talked about is I have a collaboration that's coming out with a startup company called Material which I've been familiar with before. They're kind of like um, an artisan line. Um, They make like cookware and knives and just the basics. It's kind of high end. What she said was, 
I have a collaboration coming out with a cookware startup material, a capsule collection. It's a limited edition, a few tools that I design based on tools that I use that aren't in production anywhere, like vintage spoons and very specific things that are one-off that I found in vintage markets that they've made for me. Okay. And she also talks about the way that this is made under very intense standards. She wouldn't put out anything. She wouldn't be so excited to use herself. And then she decides to go after Marie Kondo, who has the you know television show that's very popular on Netflix right now that's called Tidying Up. And then she went after Chrissy Teigen, wife of, of you know Legend. singer John Legend. You know, the EGOT master. That's right. Mama Aluna. A pretty badass cook, home chef, and food blog and foodie enthusiast in her own right. Um, Chrissy, in case you don't know. No. I'm sorry. I'm thrown off. Is that our cat? Possible. I don't know what's going on right now. Mm. I think he's looking for his string. He usually makes that noise when he wants to play with his string. Hi, we're recording the podcast right now. I know we should shut the door, but <laughs> can we continue? Did you find it? Okay. Our pets have decided they want to be part of the show. So anyway, Chrissy Teigen has this really great, um, line of cookware that's very well received that's called Cravings. And then she also has, like, under her branding, two cookbooks that I know people that's used to cookbooks before and are really big fan of hers. So, um, instead of just saying, hey, you know, I just want to do stuff in limited release. Totally get that. Whatever. Instead, this is what Allison decided to say. That's why I really enjoy what I do. Because when you're making something, but it goes away. Like the idea of what Marie Kondo decided to capitalize on her fame and make stuff you can buy. That is completely antithetical to everything she's ever taught you. I'm like, damn, bitch, you just fucking sold out immediately. Someone's like, you should make stuff. And she's like, okay, mm-hmm. slap my name on it. I don't give a shit. That's the thing. You don't need a ton of equipment in your kitchen to make great food. Like for the low, low price of $19.99, please to buy my cutting board. And we'll revisit that in a minute. Okay. Like, no, find the stuff that you love and buy it. Support businesses and makers. It feels greedy. Unless something just exists that doesn't exist, I wish existed, but that would make an inventor, which I am not. There's too much stuff in the world. I just want to make much less of it. Granted, she has her own product line, but okay. And I don't want to contribute to that. And maybe that's a poor business decision because I'm sure one day I could make money off of it. But I'm much more interested in finding a cool glass bore or a ceramicist that I love and doing a collaboration. Mm-hmm. Like what Christy Tiggin is has done is so crazy to me. She has a successful book, cookbook. And then it was like, boom, line at Target. Boom. Now she has an Instagram page with over a million followers where it's just like people running a content farm for her. That horrifies me, and it's not something I ever want to do. I don't aspire to that. But like, who's laughing now? Because she's making a ton of fucking money. So, as you can imagine, word got back to Chrissy. And Chrissy had some interesting thoughts. 
Okay. She actually went on Twitter after this article dropped on Thursday, and she said, This is a huge bummer, and it hit me hard. I've made her recipes for years now, bought the cookbook, supported her on social media, praised her in interviews. I even signed on the executive to produce the very show she talks about doing in the article. Oh, by the way, folks, she signed on to do a television show, and Chrissy is her boss. So Allison signed on to do a television show whose executive producer is Christine Teigen. Yeah. Yeah. Way to secure the bag, sis. I started cravings because I wanted something for myself. I wanted something John didn't buy. I wanted to do something that calmed me, made me happy, and make others happy too. Cravings isn't a machine or a farmed content. It's me and two other women. I didn't sell out by making my dreams come true. To have a cookware line, to get to be a part of that process from start to finish, to have something go from a sketch to be in my hands, I love that. To see the thing that in my hand, being used by people around the world, makes me so happy. Watching a company grow makes me happy. I get joy from it, and a lot of people do too. I generally loved everything about Allison. Was jealous when she got to have a book with food on the cover instead of a face. I've made countless New York Times recipes that she's created, posting along the way. I don't think I've ever been more bummed out by the food, the words of a fellow food lover. I just had no idea I was perceived that way by her especially. And Marie, too. Marie is awesome. It has been crappy to deal with all day, that I, but I couldn't not say something. I know the actual tears I put into the work I do, and it's really hard to see someone completely invalidated. Someone I really liked. There are many days I cry because cravings to sight is our baby we love to pump content into. We do this work ourselves and there's no monetary work and gain yet. It's just a work, work, work and the reward is you liking it. And to be called a sellout? Ooh, that hurts. The farm that you think of doesn't exist. I am the farm. I am the cows. I am the horses, the pigs. So... After this came out, people, again, because Chrissy is freaking awesome, started to come and support her. Everyone from W, I'm sorry, not WNBC, MSNBC's Stephanie Rule, mm-hmm. through um, Katie um, Lee, who, if you recognize the name, she is, in her own right, a chef, a cookbook writer. She's co-host of um, one of the watch, most watched shows on the Food Network, the ch- um, I was about to say the Chew, um, the Kitchen, mm-hmm. and she has a lot of big fans of people who are high, um, hashtag Team Chrissy. So basically, Allison did not really respond to this well. Even Adam Richmond, who is your your bro, because we're both friends of Man, Man versus, versus Food, food. And, and he's done a lot for foodie media. He actually said very prolifically, fuck her, Chrissy. You're real, funny, unpretentious, and you rock. So apparently Allison, who, again, did not realize who write that check, saw that maybe what she did was kind of really, really shitty. So then she decided to come up with an apology. And the apology actually rings pretty fucking shallow. So... At first, she said something, and I want to get it right, 
So let me see if I can pull that back up again. Google is free. <laughs> okay, you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But at first, she's kind of really kind of made kind of a a ridiculous apology where basically she said something along the lines of women shouldn't tear down other women and she was just being honest. And then she went on to say something about the fact that, um, you know, she wished that she had someone to hold her hand when she experienced her first backlash. And then someone probably pulled her aside and said, girl, child, that moment pays your check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then she, um, then she was like, you know, being a woman who takes down another woman is absolutely not my thing and it's not yours. And I absolutely failed to effectively communicate that. I hope that we can meet one day. I think we would probably get along. And then she also issued like another faux apology mentioning Marie. Well, apparently that apology was full of shit. So (laughs) there is no other way to put it because apparently she has been hating on Chrissy Tiggin for a while and has been very vocal about it. She just got caught. Mm -hmm. And not only did she get caught, she caught caught and realized, oh, girl, it's paying for your television show. Because at one point, she actually, you know, issued this amazing apology. Like, hey, I sent an email. Or in her mind, it must have been an amazing apology. Um, but I also want to say it here that I'm genuinely sorry for the pain that I've said. I shouldn't have used you, your business, or Marie's in parentheses as an example to show what I wanted for my own career. It was flippant, careless, and I'm so sorry. To which another Christine replied, not Chrissy Teigen, Dude, you also mouth she's so annoying and elaborate on how much you don't like her weeks ago on the Murmur podcast. So it's so weird that you're acting like this was an isolated thing. So apparently, Allison, for whatever ultimate Karen slash Becky reason, mm-hmm. has always had a thing apparently against Chrissy Teigen and got busted for it. And of course, Chrissy, when she found this out, she tweeted, Good to know. To which Christine said, oh, I didn't intentionally tag you in my reply to her because I didn't want to add to your hurt. And I'm really sorry if I did. And Christine's got to stand up for Christine's. To which Chrissy Teigen replied, it's okay, girl. I get it. Don't feel bad. So when I read this and I told you all of that, first of all, Big Daddy was blown away. Like, wow, I had no idea that she was so messy when she was on Deezus and Meryl a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. But then... Remember when I laughed and I read that last response? And for those of you who like the ratchet, like I do, and you've ever seen Basketball Wise LA, there's a very famous scene where one of the people in Basketball Wives LA gets smart to Shawnee O'Neill, who is not only one of the cast members of the show, but is also an executive producer. Yes. And she very famously calls Shawnee a bitch. And Shawnee's like, you know what? I'm not a bitch, but I'll be that bitch for you. And she said, thank you for your service. And they were at a table where everyone was around eating. And you could just like hear crickets, literally in the background. 
people are looking away, drinking their drinks uncomfortably, not looking at the woman being fired. And she goes, no, no, no. And Shani's like, no, thank you for your service. And she just got up and left the table. She was like fired on camera. <laughs> so I say this to say when I saw Chrissy's response, yeah, good to know. Yikes. Yes. That was her equivalent of saying to Allison Roman, thank you for your service. So a couple things. Mm-hmm. And I know I've done a lot of talking, but there's just so much to unpack in this. One, she never apologized to Marie. Have you noticed that? Yes. In fact, someone called her out on it, like that whole thing about promise um, or please to buy my my um, cutting board. She was making fun of Marie, who is Japanese. Yes. She was making fun of her accent and that article and totally thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. And then you got to think for yourself, it's not like she was not blowing up because Chrissy had a relationship with this woman. She was interacting with this woman. In fact, very famously, there was a recipe a couple years ago where it was falsely attributed to Chrissy and the online magazine, The Cut. And Chrissy was like, no, no, this is not her. It was in The New Yorker. This is, this is Allison's recipe. And Allison, rightfully so, advocated like, yo, Chrissy didn't write that recipe. That was me. So basically, she was willing to uplift Allison and say, hey, look, I love this recipe so much. I think you should give show her a little love. Mm-hmm. And to Chrissy's credit, she has been a huge food blogger and food blogger fan before she launched Cravings. So I followed Chrissy for a while. And I don't own any of her cookbooks yet, although I think I'm going to get cravings because I've been hearing about that for years. But she has no problem giving credit to recipe writers whose recipes she really adores. And she has a tremendous platform. So apparently, I don't know, Allison was just being petty. And you have to, I, I guess my question to you is, one, what is your impression after hearing the breakdown of this too is Allison canceled in like foodie circles because there are some very big people um, in the food industry who are just like, girl, you done fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) But then two, was that like the most Karen moves ever? (laughs) No, no, maybe I shouldn't say that. We're not going to go into that. But anyway, what's, well, one, because she's not a Karen, because I don't think she has any power. Cause it, you want to break down the power structure of Karens and Beckys and whatever? Should we talk about that? Well, I don't want to get in trouble gonna, with the, you know. The are we going to miss up, upset our listeners? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let me just say this. Because I know there's something that's floating around where they're like, Karen is like the new N-word. It is not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Culturally speaking, the N-word has been used to denigrate a group of people. It's been the last word that our ancestors have heard being lynched. I mean, the N-word is a pretty... It's the hard buzzword. Yeah. So when we jokingly refer to 
Karen. And, and her potato and, Sally. Yes. <laughs> um, it would be like the equivalent of like those people who have nothing better to do than to see the little girl selling water on the street and decided to call the police on her. Yeah, because she did not have a permit. The people Allegedly. who were minding their own business and wasn't breaking any laws, barbecuing, and she decided to call the police on them. Mm-hmm. The one who basically... Are screaming in a police officer's face about wearing masks or like you know being able to support their families by running around in terms of being able to have freedom to do things, but at the same time, we're screaming like a few months ago, Blue Lives Matter, who are whipping out their phones at every turn about every single thing that everyone else is doing, but when they are doing something dissimilar, oh, that's when they have to like whip out their Second Amendment, First Amendment rights. Or my personal favorite, the Karens that interact with me in the store who are upset because they... They want to touch my hair or they think I work for the store, which is usually like when I'm at Target and you know how they wear like the signature red shirt mm-hmm. and I'm wearing like a plaid flannel, but yet she thinks I work there and gets really angry and decides to call a non-assistant manager because I won't show her where something is because mm-hmm. I legitimately don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've had that happen twice and I'm just like, Okay. Clearly, for whatever reason, your privilege sees me in this certain role. I am not that sis. Whatever. Okay. So. (laughs) There's so much to unpack here, and we don't have the time to do it. All I can say is, going back to Allison. Okay. One, call me crazy. I don't think old girl is going to get her TV show after this. Yeah, that could be problematic. I'm pretty sure that's not going to (laughs) happen. I'm sure Chrissy is not going to sign up on that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But then secondly, I mean, what do you think was really the underlying thing with that? Because there's so many other people that she could have gone after. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's not even like it's a new business model what Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo have done from Martha Stewart to um the pioneer woman I mean the pioneer woman she literally has everything from cookbooks to cookware she even has a food line at Walmart I find it very interesting that she specifically went after two women of color um, two Asian women. And then the fact is that she made fun of Marie's accent. Yeah. And I was just thinking, it's really pos- It's really troubling to me without having to go into a lot of details because part of the reason why we started the Gourmet Goober was because of lack of recommendation of people of color in the food media. You and I both know that when it was merely a blog and I would get invited to those foodie events, how I would often be the and only person of color in the room. And that was not uncommon. From like really fancy affairs to just taste testing um, at Panera, there would be 
multiple times where there would be very limited representation of people of color um, in the room. And it's an important thing to actually have because in many cases, historically, in terms of recipes and cooking and things like that, we have had an amazing, con our cultures contribute to the eating habits of America. Okay. And yes, there are, you know, by and large, there are, have been people in the past, like B. Smith, for example, in her passing, I think I talked about how much that hurt me when she passed away. Cause when I was young, there was Martha Stewart and then there was B. Smith. There was nobody of color who was doing the things that B. Smith did. And it was just blew me away. I was just thinking, wow, I too could create like a little segment of whatever. And granted, what I do doesn't even compare to what B have, but you know, we all have aspirations. And the fact that she chose these two women to cut them down and decided to make fun of one of their accent, that just seems intentional to me. I don't know. What do you think? Well, okay. First and foremost, I'm going to try my best to be objective about this. Right. And I'm going to come at it from a layman's point of view. Because basically all I'm saying right now is a woman who decided to take swipes at people in different formats and in a roundabout way she might have damaged herself in the process. I'm going to take the first and foremost, like Anthony Mackie, the most important thing to do is, you know, if you're going to succeed, sometimes you just have to say, Hey, cut the check. If you do it right, cut the check. Cause all you want, you're there to get, you know, get paid and to do show your wares. Apparently she may or may not have been doing that at this point. Good, bad, otherwise, because I only know so much about Allison up to the point of the Jesus and Meryl little interview. And I'm going to try to, like, kick that out because I don't want to, like, you know, have a moment because they're, she's jacking up the chopped cheese. But. <laughs> no, her chopped cheese looked really good. I just don't think she ate it. Yeah. I think when the camera went off, so did she. Yeah. So my <laughs> thing is, first and foremost, like, one of the funniest things I when I was trying to do a little research on this was. These are all 34, in Bree's case, 35. You're women. They're all the same age. They all have varying degrees of success at this moment. My thing is, I think Allison took a swipe at a lamb, that being Marie, all of, and Marie is all of like 4'7". She's a very demure Seems like a very cheerful, kind of cheerful, quiet woman. But she seems to enjoy, you know, the experiences and the food in which she prepares. Oh, she's the tidying up person. She is the tidying up person. Right. And that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with, you know, with how Marie, who was all of 4'7", um, and what she does and whether or not, you, you know, your opinion of her accent or the way she, you know, says things. Okay, that's fine. You know, that's just part of her and her culture. Now, there's the other part of this that is Chrissy, who is, in my opinion, a little bit more like the the lion. And the thing is that Chrissy is immensely popular, as you detailed. She has a very famous husband. And she has the ability to reach a lot of different audiences. Yes, one of her fortes is into cooking, cookware, 
and whatnot, but she's a very famous model, all of like five foot nine. But you know, this is a, a supermodel who's made a foray into um cooking and cooking shows, and she decided to take on someone who also is very politically in tune to herself and whether or not we all agree with what she says, she has no problem, you know, speaking for herself in her wares. So thus, when you take on a lamb, you think you can get past. You take on a lion, sometimes you might come back with your head cut off. But I think she took a swipe and went so many different ways and apparently may have damaged herself in the process. So that's my opinion to start with. Well, going back to the intent, though, and why she was really angry. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like in her apologies, she was trying to say that I don't want to sell out and I don't want to commercialize myself. But in the same article, she actually introduced a a, a product line that she's doing. Six so right. isn't that a little hypocritical? Yes. But she was trying to sell her, her crap. <laughs> so she's basically putting down people and she's saying they're selling crap. So what? She can sell crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the thing is, yeah, I mean, she paints it as a very limited edition. There's a few tools that I design. I don't want to put stuff out there because there's too much stuff out there. But it's stuff that doesn't exist anymore. And so she's basically putting stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And then I I think part of the reason why she feels she, maybe it was easy for her to attack them is when you look at who actually what material does as far as um, the items that they sell versus Chrissy's who she basically made cookware for everybody. And the reason why I say this is. For example, if you go to Materials Kitchen, they have a few items that they sell. They put together in collections. Um, I imagine I'm taking a look. I don't think Allison's collection is there yet. Okay. If they were smart, they'd probably hold off on that just a wee bit until this blows over. But, for example, for They just sell it on Fox News. (laughs) Again, we are probably going to take off some of our listeners, but I don't care. We have to be honest. Okay. So, for example, there is something that they sell called the Iconics. These are essential um, wear that they feel that everyone should have. It's a $440 value. They sell it online for $245. Included with that is a serrated 6-inch knife. Um, There's also an almost 4-inch knife. Tongs, a wooden spoon, a metal spoon, slotted spatula, um, an air whisk, a slotted spoon, and the base it's all held in. Now, call me crazy. Okay. Crazy. But it's not like she was even selling to the same audience. Because compare that with the stuff that you can get at Target and Chrissy's cookware. And it's a dramatically different price base. Hey, 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 hey. If you want to get right and bougie. It's Target. It's Target. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and let me just say for the record, I am an aficionado of Le Target. 
That's right. L'étage knows me quite a bit, which I is why that. I probably could have told that woman where to find things. But I didn't work there, and that wasn't my job. I hey, was shopping. I am an aficionado of Le Wally World. <laughs> well, not now. Le Wally World is scary. <laughs> yes, I know. In Le Rona, Le, Le Wally Rona World is a problem. Yes. But compare that to, like, Chrissy's cookware set, where she has it for $139. And many of the items, like the spoon, the slotted spatula, she doesn't sell knives, but you can I believe you can get that separately. But she also has everything from, like, pots and pans. She has a Dutch oven, which I'll be honest, I'm kind of iron, even though I have three Dutch ovens, and maybe I should stop. So... <laughs> You can never have enough Dutch ovens. That is true. And I'm trying to stay off of the locker set sale that's going on right now. Because I really want another Dutch oven and I shouldn't get one. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is... Obviously, Chrissy makes stuff that's for a different audience. Mm -hmm. And if I were her, I would probably have gone after Goop. Or something like that. Oh, that's Supreme Bouget. Yeah. But I just think she went after what she thought was low-lying fruit. And she just figured that because, for whatever reason, there is a group of people that have resentment towards Chrissy and Marie Kondo. Which, just as a side note, dude, how can you be mad at Marie Kondo? <laughs> Once again, all of four foot seven. Right. I mean, y'all, she just wants you to clean your fucking house. That's all she wants. Mm. <laughs> I just don't understand why you chose to do that and i'm really disturbed that she, the way that she decided to do it especially making fun of marie's accent because that is not okay and that's like biggity no matter how you look at it and in the end it just sounds like it may have cost her some serious coinage yeah she all she had to do was learn how to say hey cut the check but apparently she up she went up against like the tyra banks of you know a foray, and she ended up getting that, what was it, Amer America's Next Top Model, like, you know, cut down? Look, there's a saying in our community that shedding up is free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Allison's going to learn that maybe shedding up is, not shedding up, is hella expensive. Maybe she should have had another bite of the chopped cheese. <laughs> you know what? You're right. Maybe if she ate the chopped cheese, she would learn to chill. Because, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I don't think she ate it. Thesis and Meryl, if you're listening, and in my mind, you're listening because we have a lot of listeners in the Bronx. Someone need to tell them, I don't think she ate your food. I just don't. I think she humored you until the camera went off, and then she had, probably had like a spit bucket. I don't think she finished it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You're just like, so my stars and bars. <laughs> oh, my stars and bars. Oh, my pearls. <laughs> you know, Marie and... Um, Chrissy's, well, I don't know. Alice, it's more like an Allison beef towards them. I think they're cool. I think they're just going to be fine without it. But that was not the only foodie slash cross um, pop culture thing that we talked about this week. Um, for those of you who are in the sports fans, you probably have seen me, 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 <laughs> me, 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 me. Okay. Over the past few weeks. The ESPN documentary called The Last Dance. And I'm going to let Big Daddy talk about this because this is your thing. This is my thing? Well, Are it you, follows yeah. the last year of Michael Jordan um, and the championship team before 
the breakup of the Bulls back in when? What year? Like 90... 97, 98 season. Yes. I knew Big Daddy would know that. <laughs> and um, each episode... And what? How many episodes have been out now? Six? Yeah, there have been six. And I think a total, I have a total of ten. Yeah, so it's a ten-part episode. Everyone has been obsessing over it. I'll be honest, me not so much because I'm a Pacer fan. And Boo! We're not going to get into that argument. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we don't want our marriage to like, be impacted because... We're quarantined with each other. We got to deal with each other. We can't have that argument. Yeah. We literally ready to, you know... You know, we, we box if <laughs> we get to certain points. But yes, anyway. So Jordan um, had a cont- contentious relationship with some of his teammates, including famously Horace Grant. Yes. And so I found out something that I told Big Daddy, and you were not surprised about his plate? No, I was not. Well, go ahead and I mean, give me the rest of the story. <laughs> so basically, the documentary was talking about how he was so incredibly competitive. And one of the people who actually used to follow the Bulls is former Chicago Tribune um, sports writer, Sam Smith. Also our alumnus. Yes, he is also an alumnus of BSU. Mm. And Sam would tell people that basically on the flights home after bad games... Mm-hmm. He would actually stop Horace Grant from getting food. He would tell the stewardess, don't feed him. He doesn't deserve to eat. Yes. Now, Horace said, you know what? I I, I didn't say this. I didn't, you know, this did not come out. This didn't come from me. Mm-hmm. But let me just also say, Sam Smith is probably one of the most I mean, legendary sports writers that ever followed the NBA. Yes. And his, his knowledge of the Bulls was just legendary. And so up until this, yeah, up until this season, the last two years, he actually wrote for Bulls.com and the Chicago Bulls website. Right. So if anyone says that this actually happened, and he actually recounted this, on a podcast, um, the Tolber Kruger and Brooks podcast. Yes. And then also, I think it actually, he alluded to it in the Jordan rules as well. He did. That basically Jordan was like a hella bully. To he was a bully. Man. Yeah. There's just no nice way to say it. Michael Jordan was a bully. Dude, though, how could you stop someone from getting food? Okay. <laughs> Horse friends all of like six foot nine inches tall. He was a big, I mean, he was a young man compared to Mike, but at the same time, he was a... He was a big dude. He was a big dude. I remember and him. And that's the thing. He also had a twin brother, you know, actually has a twin brother, Harvey, who's actual two sons are in the NBA. But Horace Grant, yeah, on the back of some of the planes and, you know, like after uh, some of the games, yes, on whether it be on the flight back or in, you know, like when the buffet would come, Mike... And some of the other players would have a way of, like, you know, indoctrinating some of their teammates. And they would kind of get on them about, like, you know, their performance. And Mike was definitely one of being a prankster. But at the same time, yes, being a bully. And, okay, because I admit I'm, I'm you know, always Jordan. You know, I, I run, you know, with the Bulls for so many years. 
Yes, I'm willing to say right now Michael Jordan from time to time can be an asshole, but not like Isaiah Thomas asshole, but yes, he's very much... <laughs> oh, you had to put that in there. You yeah. were so close. Trust me. I went through <laughs> years and years of growing up following the Bulls, <laughs> but yes. Big Daddy has an issue with Isaiah Thomas. And the entire, you know, bad boy Pistons, but... It's over. It will never be over. Even now, I still, I, I, my blood gets like boiled up. But yes, <laughs> Jordan did have ways of getting on his, you know, his teammates. But that didn't stop Horace Grant from being able to get food at some point. But yes, Michael Jordan and other players did, yeah, get up on them about their play sometimes. And yeah, they could have gone well over board Dude, getting at it. I'm just wondering how that conversation went. I mean, mm-hmm. and. I mean, no offense. You play what? Uh, and Horace Grant at his best. How many minutes per game do you think he put in? Uh, twenty nine minutes. I'm really amazed that Big Daddy knows that, but not really because your job is stats. Yeah, Jordan <laughs> used to play thirty nine and a half minutes per game, which is not LeBron or James Harden numbers, but yeah, it was pretty significant. So. You pay a good 29 minutes per game. Mm. You're already exhausted. You're on a plane. You're going home. You're tired as hell. And then you have some bro just come up to you and say, yo, don't give him anything to eat. And then the stewardess actually don't feed them. No offense. I, they might be a, a few choice words. Yeah, I'm sure there I'm, were a lot, <laughs> a lot of choice words that came out. Yes. And the bulls just let him do that? I don't know if the Bulls let him do that. They just happened. <laughs> and at the same point, if we're looking at, I'm thinking, what, 52-year-old Horace Grant now? It ain't like the man missed the meals afterwards. He's probably making up for the meals he missed because Jordan was being a jerk. Yes. I mean, unlike Scotty Pippen, who, you know, is still, like, you know, fairly trim. Yeah, looking at Michael Jordan now, looking at Horace Grant now, hell, looking at Steve Kerr now, all of them... Look like they made up for their meals. You know, first of all, we're all a little bit more healthier than we were back in the 90s. I'm the last person to say something about that. But second of all... Reggie Miller's still fairly skinny. <laughs> but at the same time, yes. We all, That's like, you know... because he doesn't have person. Rick Carlos and his wife to cook for him. Yeah, he doesn't have Marita Miller. You're like, no. No, no, Marita Miller never fed him. Remember? Oh, yeah. Very famously, you guys, there was a game. Uh, Reggie Miller played for multiple years with the Indiana Pacers. He is, in my opinion, our Jordan. Don't don't say uh, anything. Stop. Stop. We've made an agreement. <laughs> we can't go anywhere. We're in quarantine together. But very famously, um, what was it? Our, my senior year when he got hurt and yeah. he injured his eye. And he had to... Somebody punched him again in his face. That is not what happened. Uh-huh. Anyway, he was injured, and he was on the injured reserve list for a while. Reggie's sister, um, Cheryl Cheryl Miller, is actually one of the greatest female basketball players of all time. She once scored 100 points in a single game. She is a badass. And Cheryl, at the time in which Reggie was playing, worked for TNT Sports. And at the time, he was married to someone else. They've since got divorced. It was ugly. They got remarried. Marita? I wasn't going to name her name, but yes, her name was Marita. 
Okay. And <laughs> I remember that be- very vividly, my girlfriends and I, because we were all mad at Marita because Cheryl let it slip on live television that Marita doesn't cook for Marita doesn't cook. And so Reggie very famously got food from then coach Carlisle and his wife. Was it Carlisle or Larry Brown? I think it was Carlisle at the time. I'll have to look. Because okay. I think Larry Brown had since moved on. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Because I think it was I, I wanna say it was it was after Larry. I don't think Larry was still there. Okay. Um sorry to get you guys in the weeds of this. But yeah. So <laughs> what he was referring to is the fact that Maria couldn't cook and the coach's wife had to give him food. The other wife and coach, yeah, they had to go get food for poor Reggie because Reggie does look like an emaciated man at you know, that point. Y- you know what? I'm food. not going to dignify that response. We're, we're not because uh-huh. I could insult your friend. <laughs> um, we have many friends. <laughs> Mr. Number two on the Bulls, which we're not going to go into. We're the number not. was 33. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. Anyway, I just wanted to share that because it was one of the interesting tidbits that came out of the documentary. Although there was like a little known fact that you had shared with me too, that I guess was common in the media, but it wasn't revealed into recently. Are we referring to the fact that Michael Jordan... Uh, when he was playing in Chicago, had a thing about when he needed to do some grocery shopping on his own and he wanted to do it in peace, he would find a way to have the jewels, sorry, the jewel uh, grocery stores to, at least the one that he frequented, to shut down or they wouldn't admit people just so Michael Jordan could shop in peace. There was also a instance once where Michael, who had played at either Chicago Stadium or uh, what became a, the United Center, uh, went to a jewel after a game, and he had it had them shut down so he could do a little bit of shopping on his way home. But one of the people that was trying to shop at the jewel was at that point, I guess you would say, first lady of the city of Chicago, the wife of the mayor, that being Maggie Daly. Maggie was not able to shop that day because Michael Jordan needed to get a couple things before he went home. And Maggie and Michael could not shop at the same time, so thus Maggie had to wait. (laughs) How does that go? Like, what do you... Like, literally... And if you're not familiar, the dailies during that time, they were Chicago. So how do you like go back? Like, okay. um, Hi, Maggie. How's it going? Love your hair. Great suit. Love your speech the other day. She was very passionate about the cultural center and the arts. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you very much. We love that. Um, So you can't go shop right now. Because Michael Jordan is in there and <laughs> he's like getting his guacamole <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and chips and hummus. So we're going to have you wait outside near <laughs> your car. Yeah. <laughs> your car. <laughs> so he can do that. Yes. 
I mean, at this point, wouldn't Maggie be ahead of him? You would think. But when Jesus is shopping, oh, well, I okay. guess Maggie had to wait. Okay. See, you went there. <laughs> hey, once again, I, hey, it was hard for me to say <laughs> on a podcast in public that the man that I grew up just completely idolizing, you know, for all those years, who brought the city of Chicago six NBA championships, could have been a little more of a problematic person. But yes, I did it. But yes, Jesus, who was at one point, yes. No. <laughs> when that, like, you know, may have, like, you know, punched Steve Kerr in the jaw. May have once, yes, or did get thrown out of practice. But yes, also may have denied Horace Grant some food. And yes, may have Multiple shot Multiple times. Dude. It wasn't just one time. Okay, may have on a <laughs> few occasions gotten on Horace Grant and other players. Uh, and may have taken away their little, you know, little, little food ticket. And yes, may have gone shopping for some guacamole, as the goober said. And uh, other things. The man loved chips. <clears throat> and may have denied other city officials, or the wife of city <laughs> officials, of their shopping uh, privileges or rights. Yes, that would be the uh, NBA Hall of Famer, Michael Jordan. Okay, you know what? Just the fact that you admitted that Michael has flaws. Ladies and gentlemen, after, well, it'll be 15 years. Mm. We, that is, that is a personal improvement for Mr. Mr. Outlaw. So, (laughs) we are going to um, wrap things up in this segment because as things are going on, we all know that if you're like me, you probably find yourself doing a little bit more eating than maybe you should. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's comfortable, because the food is great, because you're there all the time with the fridge. <laughs> One of my bosses very famously told the story recently how it was she alone with a bag of Oreos and the Oreos that was supposed to make it throughout two weeks in quarantine did not make it into a couple of days. Trust me, we have all been there. And yes. that's why BuzzFeed, I think, put out a story, and I'll put the link in the notes, that I thought would be really, really kind of fun to end this podcast segment with, where they recently shared the 18 comfort foods that people are eating around the world. So, for example, in the Czech Republic, their number one comfort food is fried cheese. Okay. In Taiwan, they have something which, honestly, I think I'm going to make this. It's braised pork rice. Mm. That actually sounds pretty badass. In the UK, and Big Daddy is looking at me like, must you share this? (laughs) Remember, we have listeners in the UK. Okay. But in the UK, their big comfort food, believe it or not, is beans on toast. Shit on toast. Yes, we grew up calling it shit on toast or SOT because I was not allowed to cuss in front of my family. But yes, beans on butter toast is actually their comfort food. And the Netherlands is they have this something called fricando, which is fried sausage, which Mm. actually sounds pretty awesome. It's a fried skinless Dutch sausage that's served with mayonnaise or ketchup or is cut like a hot dog bun. And then they stuff it with chopped onions. 
Oh, this is beautiful. I think we might make that. We've got a ton of sausage we need to eat up. Um, in Canada, woohoo, it's my favorite comfort food of all time if you listen to the podcast, poutine. She does like her poutine. Yes. I could eat my weight in poutine. Seriously. I I think I mentioned just a few minutes ago, we are actually approaching our 15th wedding anniversary. We were actually going to go to Canada before the border closed and everything and COVID happened um, to get me some legit poutine. But yeah. The Rona Rector poutine. The Rona Rector poutine run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Canada, here's to you in that poutine. And Nigeria, it's something called puff puff, which is a deep fried dough, which sounds pretty cool. It looks like donut holes, basically. And sometimes you can get it filled with various things. Mm, donuts. <clears throat> donuts. What do you think is the number one um, comfort food in the United States? In the United States? Yes. Chopped cheese. <laughs> no, but you're close. It's grilled cheese. Okay. Which, again, you're not really a fan of grilled cheese, but I could totally eat that morning, noon, and night, so I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm lactose intolerant, <laughs> but yeah, I do admit, I, people have made some pretty good grilled cheeses. I just happen to not be a fan of grilled cheese. In Germany, it's spätzle, which is cheese noodles. Okay. Again, freaking fly, so yay, Germany. In Bulgaria, it's meatballs. Mmm, meatballs. And then finally, in Brazil, which you think it would be pecana, but it's not. It's black bean and beet, a meat stew. It is usually served with the pork. Hmm. I am intrigued. That does sound uh, fabulous. Yeah, it does sound fabulous. I am feeling a lot of comfort listening to this, you know, these comfort foods from around the world. <laughs> well, hopefully, if you guys, again, want to try some of the recipes, which seems like a lot of them are pretty doable, I'll put the link in the notes. So as we face another week, depending on where you are in quarantine and stay at home orders, we hope everyone stays safe, wash your hands, all that good stuff. And hopefully you can enjoy some of those comfort foods to get you through another week. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will wrap things up sharing the best thing we ate this week. And you're listening to The Gourmet Goober. We'll be right back. Do you know who struggles with creating ideas? People who are actually creative. But do you know what really sucks about being a struggling creative? It's that frustration of starting a new skill, the unbearable phase of being stuck with new ideas, and of course, never knowing when or even how to make a profit from your ideas. You know that feeling, being a jack of all trades, but master of none. Well, the Conscious Creative Corner podcast is the podcast where real creatives share their secret formulas on how to be irresistibly profitable in their field. So that way you can be a jack of all trade and a master of your money. So if you're ready to leave behind the frustration and exhaustion of not knowing how to live profitably, head on over to the Conscious Creative Corner podcast, where you can gain the skills you need to be a successful magnetic creative. Find it now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM. everyone welcome back this is jj outlaw and t outlaw and we are back with the gourmet goober podcast to wrap things up and this is a segment where we talk about the best thing we ate this week 
Um, that includes the restaurants, the takeouts, um, the really great places that we had a chance to sample and get our paws on, our greedy paws on, <laughs> so to speak. Meow. And if you are in the area and decide to catch them, you can join us um, and stop by these great places and, you know, grab a bite yourself. So, as always, um, Big Daddy usually starts off this segment. And what I know you had a lot of good things to choose from this week because there are a lot of local businesses that, again, we've been trying to um, take advantage of. Um, and we encourage you, no matter where you are, um, the restaurant industry has been very hard hit by what's going on with the COVID-19 pandemic. So just as a reminder, please um, take advantage, order from these places if you can. Um, call them directly. Don't necessarily hit DoorDash and um, Uber Eats and all these places first, even though they're a great convenience. And I know I've been guilty of it um, because, again, a lot of these restaurants are already operating with the smallest of margins. And so calling them directly and picking it up yourself, if you can, um, and we know it's not right for every situation, particularly if you're one of the vulnerable populations that are affected by the coronavirus, either by age or by health condition or things like that. Um, but calling them and picking up, if you can, does a great deal because it helps them retain a little bit more of the profit margin. And maybe that could be the difference of hiring another waiter or someone to help out. Um, that said, didn't mean to jump into what you designated as the best thing you ate this week, but of all the places and things that you had since our last episode, what would you suggest? Oh, wow. I think I completely forgot what the hell I was supposed to be liking. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I was straight. Um, <laughs> no, this actually is a tale of the times. As we are working towards, I mean, a lot of uh, restaurants towards working towards reopening, I would say the best thing I ate this week is kind of an old school favorite for me growing up uh, here in the region. One of the uh, random little restaurants that's originally original or native to the region of Northwest Indiana is a place called Lincoln's Carryout. Uh, Lincoln's Carryout has been known for, you know, your typical deli sandwiches and other meats and uh, pies and stuff or a number of years and many locations around the area. And I just decided like uh, this past Saturday to say, Hey, I wonder if Lincoln is still open. So one of the, their biggest sellers from way back when I was a little kid was their uh, steel worker sandwiches, which is basically like, um, kind of like a roast beef uh, type uh, sandwich. Uh, with cheese, mayo, tomatoes, um, and such on rye bread. And usually I always get like, they have, you can order it with different kinds of cheeses. I always get pepper jack because that's what my mom used to like. So my thing was going to get a steel worker was, uh, from way back when I was a little kid. And I very thoroughly enjoyed them now. When I was a little kid, I wasn't quite feeling them. But, yeah, going to get a steel worker was really tight. I will say, though, we still have a ways to go in terms of social distancing 
and making sure as we try to get all of our stuff together to, you know, come back to a new normal that we as people kind of watch out for each other and social distance and or less, you know, protect ourselves. But um, we can carry out from the region is the best thing I eat this week. And just to circle back on that, the reason why you said that is we, there's multiple locations of Lincoln Carryout. We went to the one in Hobart. It's this really small um, restaurant um, spot um, of that particular location. And when well, we. Most of, most of Lincoln Carryouts are really small. Yeah, but well, no, because there's one that used to be open. I forget where, like Highland or. Yeah. Yeah, but that one's no longer open. Yeah, but that was huge. Where it basically had a larger space and it was dine-in. This one primarily was really kind of tiny. And we went in and to be fair, people, try, I think they tried to social distance as best as they could um, in it. But they hadn't moved the chairs or anything. I think the chairs were bolted to the floor. Yes. And it was, you know, you walk in basically, you you ordered it, and then you walked back out <clears throat> with the order. So it was a carryout situation. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, they had no means of doing curbside. Um, you basically, if you were lucky enough to get a spot a parking in the parking lot, you can park there. Or you could park on the long side of the street of the neighborhood next to it. Um, it's kind of like parking for Long's Donuts. We've described that before. But, yeah. Um, Really small enclosed space. In fact, we both went in together so we could make our choices. And, you know, we had gloves and masks on. A lot of people did not. And admittedly, I was just like, um, I really am not feeling comfortable <laughs> how close I am to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you graciously gave me the keys and like, why don't you sit in the car and I will pick up the order and I will come back. And the order was relatively quick, I, I have to say. But yeah, um, and I realize it's a challenge for a lot of restaurants. And so that's probably what you were alluding to when you were saying social distancing needs to improve. Yes. But that said, if you can ever get your hand on the steelworker, because I too got a steelworker sandwich from when you pick yours up, it was so good. <laughs> I have forgotten how good steelworker sandwiches were. We hadn't had one in a while. Yeah. Definitely before, since before the the pandemic hit. Um, so it was kind of a nice thing to kind of pick up as we were running a couple of essential errands and making our way back to your house. So it was kind of, um, it was nice. So thank yeah. you for thinking of that. Yeah, that's the thing. Essential errands. That's what we're going to tell the popo. Essential. We say that because it's it's weird because a lot of the states are reopening. And unfortunately, our state is not an exception, which I say, unfortunately, on one hand, I know people need to get back to work. But the other hand, again, I think I shared just a, a small part of having you know, feedback from someone who's dealing with the coronavirus and treating patients and, um, you know, losing multiple patients, I think at 1.5 patients in a night. And just how devastating that is for both the people who are working with them as well as their families. 
So the coronavirus is a real thing. And I kind of bristle when I hear people say that it's not um, for various reasons. Um, and you can believe what you want. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that I, people, there have been different responses by jurisdictions as to how they want to handle the coronavirus. I know where we live. <laughs> We're not all the way open. We are not all the way open at all. In fact, when they first mandated a, a shelter in place in the state where we live, the mayor of our town basically said, and we're the only town I think they've ever done that. Whereas just like, if you're not out for essential items, the cops can arrest you. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> so let me preface this by saying we... And it was true. We were out, you know, doing a couple errands, picking up the items that we can't have delivered right now. But picking up the Lincoln's carryout was a very nice change of pace. It was something that was delicious and old school and yummy and clearly a Northwest Indiana sandwich. So thank you for thinking of the steel worker. Mm -hmm. um, my best thing that I ate this week actually comes from a place that is fast becoming a local fave and it's a noodle shop called Fahoa. Fahoa? Fahoa. <laughs> it's fun to say. <laughs> but it's the Fahoa noodle shop. Um, they have locations all throughout the country. The location that I went to is also in Hobart, Indiana. Um, and if you're not familiar with Fahoa, it's actually this really cool um, chain of stores now, to be fair, I'm not sure, I mean, it certainly <clears throat> is authentic, and there are a number of places, well, there's not a lot, let me take a step back, there's not a lot of places where we live across the border in northwest Indiana that you can get um, uh, <laughs> Vietnamese pho. Okay. Um there is a really great restaurant that I always recommend in Maryville. And I'm not sure if they're still open. If they are, I'll put them in the notes. But they're my first choice. In fact, your first time trying pho was when I took you to that particular restaurant. Yeah, yes, um, I do remember that. But Fahoa, it's a franchise chain where they have traditional um, Vietnamese pho and other choices. And it is really really cool um we've eaten there before um the COVID, and they have a large array of choices both in terms of noodles and traditional rice um servings mm -hmm. and then they also and they have like really great flavors like lemongrass and tripe and just um the traditional stuff that you would find in a pho restaurant and then they also have the best <laughs> um, juices and um, bubble teas around. So they're really a fun kind of a Vietnamese pho slash fusion restaurant. So at this particular location, um, the night that we, or no, it was during the day, right? Yeah, I was finishing up my grant. But at the location we had, um, I had ordered... What was it? It was, well, you got the grilled lemongrass um, pork chop. I got whatever you told me I got. <laughs> you did 
didn't know what it was. I just decided to surprise you for lunch. Yeah, she surprised me. I'm like, where? What the fuck was this? <laughs> and she's like, it's fa. <laughs> and it's like good. I'm like, oh, you okay. eat the hell out of it though. You I eat it because you put it in front of me. I was hungry. It was good. Come on, yeah. admit it. Yeah, it was good pho. <laughs> Actually, we didn't have pho that day, so you ordered like a grilled lemongrass pork chop rice bowl. Oh. And then I had the popcorn chicken bowl. And then we also had two of their traditional Vietnamese spring rolls. Um, and gotta say, because you you get it and it has like a ton. Each serving has a lot of food. So we wound up just like splitting up the servings. Mm. And it was so good. I, I'm just going to choose the entire thing that we ate. <laughs> It's the best thing I ate that week. Okay. Um, the popcorn chicken was really kind of flavorful. The bowl itself came with rice and um, little fried chicken nuggets. Um, it had like a fried egg on top and, you know, lots of different extra seasoning and stuff. This really great sauce that went with it. And then yours came with more traditional, like it had lemongrass and it had... Do you remember what yours had? It was just so good. I just wound up like getting She ended close. up eating like old man because I can't <laughs> I remember. I did not. You? No. To be fair, to be fair, you, we we both split a pork chop because it came with a pork chop. And yeah, the pork chop was line. decent. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. But it had carrots and it was just a whole horse of like delicious, yummy um, goodness there um, that was all in that little bowl itself. Okay. But it was really fresh and delicious, and the flavors itself, like the lemongrass, was not watered down, and the the roll itself was really, really nice as well. It was kind of had that vermicelli paper, rice paper, that you usually get with the spring roll. Yeah, it was nice and tight. It was nice and tight, as Big Daddy said. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was really, really delicious. So if you happen to have a fahoa in your neck of the woods, do recommend it because it was delish. So I think this kind of wraps things up. Yeah, we went long this time. <laughs> yeah. So please forgive us. Please forgive us. I think this is probably the longest episode that we had, but there was a lot to talk about. And so things like that. So, Big Daddy, really quickly, where can they... Tiala at Tiala, that's T-O-U-T-L-A-W, on Twitter and on Instagram at Tiala, Chelsea Wells. You can find me, JJ Outlaw. That's right, you, JJ Outlaw, me, Tarzan. (laughs) No, sorry. It's, you guys got to forgive us. It's kind of late recording this segment. We had just had a very spirited conversation. Um, watching Con Air over the version of How Do I Live? <laughs> Which version is better? <laughs> I can't live without you. Okay, never mind. And if you guys don't know, Mm-mm. Google it. We don't have time, but basically it's Leanne Bruins' version versus Trisha Yearwood's. Um, yeah, that's right. Two, uh, bro, you know, like me and you, and we black, and we talking about Trisha Yearwood <laughs> and Leanne Rhymes. Okay, first of all, black people do listen to country music. No, I'm sure they do, you know, but we're not dear as a record, so. <laughs> you know I was, like, hella sad when, like, Kenny Rogers died, because I was in the stream was my jam. <laughs> yeah, that was great. 
Anyway. <laughs> I went to college with guys who listened to Garth Brooks. That's great. At the same time, I didn't usually expect to get in a conversation about Trisha Yearwood versus Leanne Rhymes. Look, all I say is Leanne Rhymes' version is better. Y'all can fight me on that. <laughs> I could care less. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I was just... We're in a slap-happy state. We were giggling because um, we had talked about that prior to cutting on the um, microphone. Some of the joys of recording at home as opposed to in a formal studio, as I'm sure many podcasts are doing right now. Um, but, yeah, you can find me at JJ Outlaw on Twitter, at the Gourmet Goober on Instagram, and always stop in to thegourmetgoober.com to check out what's going on. So on behalf of T Outlaw, we hope that you guys stay safe, stay in if you can. And until next time, happy eating. Happy eating.